Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Welcome back, guys. It's another day, another episode of On the Side. I have the most incredible guest today. I just cannot even tell you how much joy this brought me. It is a miserable day here in New York. It is pouring rain and the traffic has resumed. It's like the pandemic never happened and everyone is back to work or school or something. Mostly there's just potholes and construction everywhere. So I spoke to Aisha Nurjaya, which I just nailed the pronunciation of that. I just want to give myself a shout out there. Chef Aisha Nurjaya, who is a New York City-based chef. She was born and raised in Brooklyn, and she just opened the most incredible restaurant. It's called Chouquette. NYC. If you are currently in New York or planning to get to New York, you must eat here. I cannot even stress it enough. You will hear why after you have a chance to listen to the interview. But I learned so much and just had the best conversation with Aisha. She was so gracious and lovely and generous with her time. And we also got into a whole bunch of different topics. I I honestly found this episode to be easily the greatest business and branding lesson that I've had in a while, which which is not what I was expecting going in. I just thought I would learn a lot about Aisha and uh, her experience with food, but she's really got a lot to share about what it means to evolve your brand and also stay authentic to your brand while you continue to take feedback and remain close to your vision, which I just thought was really inspiring. We talked about this really significant moment when she just opened Chouquette, which was making a tweak to the copy on the menu versus the actual contents of the dish, which I actually just feel like now that I've said that out loud could be a metaphor for life. But you'll see what I mean when you hear that part of the interview. My favorite thing that Aisha said during <laughs> during our time together was that she loves to to create meals and dishes where every bite is like the 4th of July. So combining lots of different flavors, sharing meals together with people, with loved ones, connecting over food and connecting to food, you guys know that is just my absolute wheelhouse right there. So I felt like there's just so much to love about this. And of course, you know, Aisha knows the power of a good tantrum and the power of a good cry, which (laughs) I feel pretty close to. I mean, she did open a new restaurant in Manhattan in 2021. I just feel like you can't really get more badass than that. So yeah, so we're not going to have a tantrum 
over the restaurant itself, but we might have a couple tantrums in the restaurant, out in the open, at street level, rather than in the basement. You'll see what I mean when you hear the interview. I hope you guys enjoy this one. This was really awesome. I learned so much again. I keep saying that. I just wanted to cry with joy throughout the, I don't know why tears are becoming such a theme for me today. I can, I must be the rain. That's all I'm going to say. This rain is inspiring me to cry. And so do delicious local tomatoes. All right, that's it. We're going to get into it now and I will catch you guys on the other side. I hope you enjoy. Aisha Nurjaya. Nurjaya. Aisha Nurjaya. Yes. I did it right. You nailed Welcome. It. You nailed Welcome it. to On the Side from the car. Tell us tell us where you are right now. Tell our listeners exactly where you so are. So I I I am on I'm currently on the BQE, probably right around um, Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Um this is my normal thoroughfare and uh, it does throw me loops and curveballs daily. So it's very difficult to get my schedule right because it should be like an hour door to door, but um, I hear that. you know, I would assume at 10:36 People should be where they need to be, but I guess I should be. Apparently not. I know. Apparently Uh, not. I do feel like traffic's been at its peak worst. Like I would call it maybe the worst I've ever seen New York City traffic in the last, I don't know, couple months. Right. right? It's sort of like we've reemerged into traffic. Right. I think the the two things that were high purchases during the pandemic were puppies and cars. Totally. 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 Do you have a puppy? Oh, and a lot of people in vehicles. Exactly. I don't. I don't. I did. I did almost succumb to uh, the notion during um, the pandemic, but I realized that I would go back to work. Right. And with what I do, it's just not fair. <laughs> I hear that. I totally hear that. All right. So on that note, let's discuss. So first of all, congratulations on Chouquette. I'm probably going to bounce around a lot, but having just eaten at Chouquette, your latest project, your latest new restaurant opening. When did you open? Tell us about Chouquette. What is it? Where is it? And let's just get this out of the way, Aisha. Let's just tell everyone to go. Just go immediately. You (laughs) must immediately go. I apologize in advance if you can't get a reservation. Unfortunately, not even the chef could get you in. But um, (laughs) it is located on the corner of 24th and 9th Avenue. It is called Chouquette. We opened uh, seven weeks ago. And um, it is the most exciting project that I've ever done. After cooking for almost 16 years, the restaurant was just built for me. I can't explain it to you. It's like um, I've been so used to these basement kitchens. And when we talked about this project, I said, never again will I ever do a basement. And then a few days leading up to it, I said, you know, you're allowed to kick a garbage can in the basement. You know, you could have a tantrum in the basement. <laughs> but when you're in front of all these people, you have to really put it on. And um, I don't know. I just I'm having such a great team. And hopefully everyone, uh, we've got such an overwhelmingly support and positive t- and positive feedback on the restaurant. I'm really excited. It's amazing. It is so delicious. And it's so funny you say that about having a tantrum in the basement, because first of all, I I would say if I had another memoir, if there, I mean, we've, uh, Yusha and I, before we started recording, we're talking about titles of of each of our respective (laughs) memoirs. And I think tantrum in the basement is an amazing title for yours. But I, but that said, that said, walk us back to the basement 
kitchen concept where so that started where when and how and then what led up to the opening of Chouquette and then we'll get into some more specifics so I've been with the Bowery group we have um cook shop Vicks Rosie's Shuka and now Mm -hmm. the newest Chouquette and I started about six years ago and it was 100 acres so it was like um a very popular restaurant that did Southern American food. And um, I had no idea where to put myself. I had a very talented sous chef at the time. And I said to him, why don't you cook and I'm going to clean until I figure out like what my place is going to be because fried chicken and waffles, although I'd love to eat that and biscuits and etouffee, it just wasn't my thing. And I was changing the restaurant, but that's a hard, you know, that's like, trying to change, you know, change course of a cruise liner in, in, in a matter of a minute. It's totally. really impossible to do. So at one point we did have like pork chops and hummus on the menu, not together, but um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was at that point that we realized where I was going with the food and that hundred acres needed to, we needed to move on from it. And that's really how Shuka was born. We actually celebrated Shuka's fourth birthday yesterday. Wow. Amazing. Yes. That a lot is of celebrations. amazing. That is a lot to celebrate. I mean, that's a great celebration. I lo- I would say that 100 Acres, I feel like, was a staple of, I don't I, would, I don't want to say the early, that because I, I always want to say early aughts, but then I'm like, oh, no, it's actually right. 2021. That's not true. So, like, <laughs> it's really more like the, the 2010s, I would say. That, right. that probably, I feel like I was there at least once a week. For There was a time yeah. period where I was probably there once a week. I mean, it is so, it was just such a classic New York staple, but I also feel like it was always packed, so it was difficult to get in. But it's so interesting you say that about the transformation of what the actual food was, because I always felt like no matter what you were in the mood for, there was something for you. Is that totally way off? Like, I felt like you could no, have something really simple, or you could right. have something, And I think yeah. that was what the appeal was. Totally. Right. It was extremely still, right. Still farm to day, table, really driven, you know, with market ingredients. I think the background of it was the, you know, I just named obviously some classic, uh, very uh, familiar dishes with the fried chicken and waffles. But it was definitely a place where you can go. You know, brunches for me was the thing that was eye opening. I mean, we would do 400 covers for brunch. Wow. And, um, we still do it there, but that, that's a, it's a big transition to walk into a restaurant as a new chef in a cuisine that's not yours and a restaurant that's like just putting out, you know, busy lunch, but not really, it was okay lunches, but it was busy dinners and busy brunches. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that that's massively challenging, especially because of your location. And at the time, too. you know, that beautiful block, yeah. uh, which I still think is gorgeous it on is. McDougal between Prince and Houston, we were, we were possibly three if I if I really could jog my memory but at best and now we're like six of us on this really small tree and uh it has so much buzz on the block and we've been very fortunate and grateful to have reopened after the pandemic and uh to be honest with you business is better than ever wow so you know with the structure and now inside indoor dining, we're right. all, we're at one hundred and fifty percent capacity. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I do feel like everyone is kind of having a you know you've heard of this like revenge spending. I feel like there's a little bit of this revenge eating. It's it's like the revenge <laughs> dining out. You know what I mean? It's like now right. I just want to be at a restaurant. Like the last thing I I have been in the mood to do is cook, but I can't imagine that you can get away with such things. I feel like you can't <laughs> possibly feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You mentioned that because I was just talking 
to some people at the counter at Chuquet last night, and they said, you know, rightfully so, the two women in their 40s, and, and you know, we love to people watch, and we're like, oh, look at this one, look at and they just said that, that you know, I'm out now since, you know, the pandemic, and they were like, we, instead of being judgmental, we were like, good for you, get that other bottle of champagne, exactly. you look so happy, <laughs> and I said, that's what it's always been about, you know? Right, it's so true. To me, the eating out, the celebratory manner of it, to really enjoy the people that you're breaking bread with, and um, I mean, everyone oh, loves love a little, that. a little salt bay of, of judgment. You know, right. it can't be. You know, we love to be all judgment free. Let's get the truth out. But um, I love this. I think it's just very more supportive and more positive. True. It's almost like collective judging. It's like we're all judging each other and ourselves <laughs> together. It's like we're in this together. It's a community building right. exercise. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the menu about at Shuka and then let's get into the menu at Shuket. What is the difference between Shuka and Hundred Acres? How did you how did that kind of evolve from your experience working at Hundred Acres? And then how did Shuket come to be after Shuka? Give us the kind of okay. trajectory of all of that. Perfect. We're going to go through the trifecta yes. of uh, the lifeline of this restaurant. So I'm going to start from the way beginning because I think it Please will do. carve a clear vision of how this wor worked out. I love that. I More the better. I have been cooking for a long time uh, and primarily cooked only Italian food. I work for Lydia Bastianich. I work for Missy Robbins. I'm half Italian, half Indonesian, and I think a lot of people gravitate to their mother's culture and cuisine, and that's really what happened to me. And I'm I'm still always fascinated by what like water and flour can do, and the endless uh, possibilities. Totally, totally. Wow. And Wait. So let's. So I hate to interrupt you, but I think we got to stop there for a sec. Which is tell us. So like, what growing up, what was a typical dinner like weeknight meal in your house? To be honest with you, um, I think I grew up in the original Iron Chef home. My mom <laughs> was a superb cook and my dad was a, a chef. He uh, was a chef on a ship that used to transport liquid natural gas from America to Asian countries. Wow. So he would be home for four months and away for four months. And when he was home, uh, he would cook. Wow. So we would eat Italian food all the time. And then my dad would come with Indonesian food and then he would like <laughs> spark it up. You know, he'd make pa fancy pancakes or roasts and other things. So it could range from having like legitimately like pasta with zucchini and pecorino. And then my dad would make uh, put whole fish into like a turmeric based uh, soup uh, with lots of veggies and like lemongrass. And we'd be gnawing at like uh, fish eyeballs. So my brother and I, <laughs> I'm a little more adventurous than he was. But um, it ran the gamut. And I think it gave me not only an iron stomach, but a real appreciation of the spices and of food. Because yeah. I think when you like kind of don't have the traditional like ham and cheese sandwich, nothing wrong with that. It kind of opens you up to different avenues of food. And I've always been interested in this. It kind of parlays into how this came yeah. about different things. My grandmother was born in a brownstone in Cobble Hill where you can't even walk down the street unless you have like seven million in your pocket. Right. And uh, four generations <laughs> of her family lived there. And a Sunday sauce or a Sunday gravy and Sunday dinner was uh, a big deal. So my aunt, my, my grandmother, even though she had a refrigerator, she still like liked to shop every day. She would just bring in what she needed. And on Saturday, she'd start like a lot of the stuff, like make the brajol and the meatballs and stuff like that, for getting ready for Sunday. I love and, that. And uh, we'd walk to Atlantic Avenue. And at that time, it was like really 
Middle Eastern. I mean, you still have your key players on that the block between, I guess it's Court Street and Clinton, yeah. where you find Sahadis and Damascus. And oh she would just gosh, say, let's try best. this. And she'd yeah. like get a kibbeh and like break it open and we would try it. Or a falafel. Or oh. she would bring home some hummus. And it, th- those were the fondest memories. I mean, my grandmother is probably one of the most influential people in my life, was in my life. Yeah. And I've learned so much from her. But she was like the funniest person. And really outside of her box, she just thought differently. And, and even though grew up in very traditional home and like, you know, very Italian rooted, she just was like, I wish that she had the opportunity to travel more. She had just a, a really a spectacular zest of life. Oh, I love that so, so much. I love that so, so much. So as a young child, I think I, like I, I got this little bug for this Middle Eastern food. And, you know, when you become a chef, uh, there was a thing, and I'm not sure if Anthony Bourdain wrote this in his book, but he said inside each chef is a small Asian person. Because, you know, <laughs> after you go out, uh, you, uh, you're done cooking, you'll, you end up at New York Noodle Town or, totally. you know, somewhere having like hot noodle dumplings, whatever it might be. But I think inside me was always a little person with a fez hat. Yes. Because I would, always, you know, I would always gravitate towards these Middle Eastern Mediterranean restaurants and um, in Gravesend, Brooklyn, where I live, there was a a place called Sahara's uh, that was open for like 30 plus years. They recently closed before the pandemic. And um, we would always get like the plat, you know, the platter that had all the the hummus, the baba ganoush, the fried eggplant, the grape leaves. And that's really, that whole style of dining Mm -hmm. is really how Shuka was born. So, I'm going to go a little backward and forward. I love it. I was, uh, I was at a, a restaurant. I left Avoche to go open a restaurant in Brooklyn called Red Gravy. Okay. And uh, the restaurant ran its course after two and a half years. And I called Missy Robbins and she said to me, I want, she called me actually. She said, I want you to talk to these people. I said, okay. what people, you know? <laughs> and she said, Vicki Freeman and Mark Meyer. And I said, okay, who are they? And she says, oh, they own these restaurants, you know, Vicks, Rosie's, Cook Shop. She said, they have a restaurant called 100 Acres and they're looking for a chef. So I called them on the phone and uh, we basically met in person and it was like just a, it was just just a breath of fresh air to have conversation with people about like food and how, you know, this day and age, everybody, it's not that everybody does, I hate to be condescending, but like everybody thinks they know about food, but there's not many people that love food. You know, people say they they might love going out to eat or restaurants, but then there's someone that could look at a tomato or an eggplant and actually, you know, welt up in tears and I know that sounds so extreme, no, but there is this connection with food and, and they had had it. And I was like, wow, this is great. And they said, so listen, we have an Italian concept already. And I said, yeah, so I don't really know why you're talking to me. And they said, well, we have this restaurant, hundred acres and we're, we're willing to change it. If you could cook anything, what would you cook? And I said, right off the, right off the tongue, Middle Eastern food. And they were like, Whoa. wow. And they were like, could you do like Mediterranean can you do like something, you know, from Italy, <laughs> Greece and France? And I said, yeah, I could do that, you know, and I've had experience. I opened up Bar Artisanal in Tribeca with Terrence Brennan, and that was also Mediterranean. And, and I love the flavors, but I couldn't help myself as the fried chicken and waffles were going. The hummus was going on. There were, you know, lamb shanks with turmeric and apricots were going on. And it was just very clear <laughs> that the little person, the little person. The little that fez had, hat inside you. Yeah. She came out with a, with, with a fez uh, oh. dishes that I didn't even know where it was coming from <laughs> in my own self. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling. You know, I've been to Morocco to 
and um, Israel and all these places where, you know, I don't want to call them melting pots, but, you know, each of these places have such influence from everywhere in the Middle East. Even though, yeah. like, of course, everyone nationalistically is proud of their cuisine, you just, you can see Kibay all across the Levant, you right. know, and right. how it's made so differently. Whether it's vegetarian, whether it's made with pumpkin or mm. lamb or beef, and even the shapes change. But uh, there was just something about the cuisine that I, I, and this is before, like, the big bump of, of you know, Middle Eastern restaurants. Because before then, mm. I wouldn't even say it was a category on Uber Eats. Like, totally, you know what I'm saying? Totally, you think food, I know. You like Italian, Chinese, or, or many t- types of Asian cuisine. And, and then, like, little by little, like, this little spark for hummus just started to erupt. And I'm not by any stretch of the means saying that I was the pioneer or anything like that. I'm just I saying am. I, when I wanted to do it. I mean, you might not say that, but I'll no say one. that. <laughs> I really do. I think that's because of you. I mean, that wasn't on the map before you. So, okay. So you might not want to say that, but I'm going to say that. Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> I'll leave it up to you. I'm not going to disagree, but I'll leave it up to you okay. to say. But <laughs> when we started to talk about like what Shuka would look like, my main thing that always left an impression of me through my travels and through eating that food was it was a convivial sty- style of eating. Totally there was true. this, which, which you can coin me on this because this is my phrase, but the rip and dip. Oh. You know, you're this warm, this warm pita and you're getting into the hummus or the baba ganoush or you're stuffing like hot pieces of lamb from the skewers with pickles. And it, it, it's just like each bite is like this explosive Fourth of July of flavor. And totally texture. true. Oh, my God. So much juice in there. I mean, just to use <laughs> right. a food pun. OK. Yes. And what I wanted was this restaurant to really evoke that style of dining. Now, for people that were coming to 100, Ac- 100 Acres, this was like such a disconnect because you would go there and have this, you know, you'd have an appetizer, an entree, and dessert. And that formal style of dining, like, was something that I, I'm, even though I've worked in Michelin star restaurants and appreciate and respect it, when I thought about me and who I was, it just wasn't me. Yeah. And why? Because I like to taste a lot of things. Yeah. And when you're getting. You know, when you're at a tasting menu, yes, you're tasting a lot of things, but then there's still the other, you know, they're one bite wonders. I want the other 30 bites that I'm not getting. Exactly. I could not agree with that more. And I really, I, that's why I'm, I'm losing my mind over the phrase rip and dip, because I feel like that just describes so many things all at the same time, which is getting to try <laughs> lots of different bites of lots of different flavors, all of which should be the 4th of July, but from different <laughs> flavor profiles and different ingredients and just a bunch of enjoyment and and conviviality is exactly the right word. I totally, I'm totally with you. Cause then you just have the food FOMO all the time. Yes. And like, you're leaving there thinking like, should I just get this to go? Right. So you become, <laughs> it becomes insane. You just finished having dinner. And you're like, I, I think I need this to go. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, we better, you know what? I think we better box up that pork <laughs> chop just, just because we might need to try the, the pork chop just at one point. Right. Yeah. So if you've been to Shuka, and on um, the bottom of the menu, and the you know, it says the Shuka Feast. The oh. Shuka Feast is really was the the catalyst of opening Shuka. I wanted people to experience the rip and dips. I didn't want your plates to be cleared. I wanted like pita to continuously come, and I wanted mm. there not to be this appetizer entree situation. Totally. So I wanted you to be able to get your hummus and a lot of these dips and salads, and 
a few minutes later, 10 minutes later, like this big platter of kebabs come up, whether it's vegetables with meat and, and fish and rice and fries and more sauces yeah. to accompany that. And um, that's really how Shuka was born. Oh. And when we first opened, obviously, like in any restaurant, the first few days, there was like a little bit of pushback. And when I spoke to my business partners, you know, we were talking about, you know, when you whenever you ch- change brings conflict. You know, totally. people are used to and yeah. people love familiarity. So when you change a, an existing restaurant to something else, you run the risk of losing the clientele that you once had. Oh, but you also, on the God, flip side yes. of it, have to say you're gaining people that have never been there before. So it was really, how do I, it was just, it was a leap of faith, yeah. 100%. It was something that we were like very passionate about and was like, we really have nothing to lose because we have this face, you know, right. God forbid, turn it right back. You know, right. we said it was a pop up if we wanted to. Right. You know, we did, we did, we closed for a few days, did some aesthetic, you know, put up some tiles, a few hanging lights. Yeah. And um, the Shuka yeah. was born. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So through this kind of transformation and forgive me, just I'm just repeating this back to you just to make sure I've got yeah. this. So like, so in other words, the, the kind of concern among you and your business partners was that are we going to lose our current customer by kind of yes. evolving into this new rip and dip Middle Eastern slash Mediterranean kind of cuisine of shared plates of, you know, the Shuka feast, what you're describing. How close geographically speaking are each of the restaurants? I guess cook shop is a little bit more uptown versus Vicks and hundred right. acres. And, and I think Vicks and Rosie's are a block and a half right. from each other. Okay. And then Vicks and Rosie's are like six blocks away from Shuka via like, yeah. um, Houston. Right. Okay. And then if you're on the west side, then you go, you shoot right up, you know, to, to Cook Shop. Cook Shop is right. the furthest. Now, Shuket is actually the furthest. But like, if you're a city biker or yeah. an avid walker, which I'm neither of those things, <laughs> I mean, it is pretty easily accessible. Um, if you wanted to have lunch, brunch, and dinner somewhere oh. and uh, have the cuisines in the same day. Right. But I think um, the minute that we opened Shuka, it kind of caught fire. Yeah. And we obviously got a lot of pushback about like this convivial style of eating. We had to switch the menu up a little bit because people were still concerned. You know, this platter of kebabs uh, wasn't for everyone that people wanted their own kebabs. So how do we go about that? Which was fine because we still stayed in the vein. And I think, you know, when you open a restaurant or when you have a vision, you know, it's very important that not only that you can execute the vision, but the people that work with you can also, so also believe in the vision and and, and want to push it forward. Yeah. But you also have to be open for tweaking. Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to be staunch on saying like, this is how I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, it d- doesn't matter what people think. The people that come into your restaurant are the people that keep your restaurant alive. Yeah. So yeah. You, ha- you, you have to have the, your ear to the ground and you have to understand that, like, it doesn't mean that, you know, if somebody comes into Shuka and they order veal parmesan, do I have it? I don't. But if they come in and they're <laughs> like, you know, I'd rather you know, have this instead of that and we can do it. We're happy to oblige. Right. You know, I love that. I love that. It's so true. I mean, it's so true of any business, but it's so particularly true of working in a restaurant, right? I mean, the customer, I mean, you always hear that, like the customer is always right. But like sometimes, I mean, I've been in a position where I'm like, but are they though? You know, like you, you kind of like, you don't, 
you you want to make sure that everyone is having the best experience possible, but it's sort of like that boundary of is it the best? What makes it the best experience possible? If you've taken, if you've walked into Shuka and you're ordering veal parmesan, you know what I mean? Like then you're you're right. perhaps in the wrong place. What what's a good? Give us like a, a specific example of something like that. So you mentioned the kebabs, like as in you know instead of a platter, it would be an individual plate. Right. I, I give you an example of the chicken shawarma. The chicken okay. shawarma is like the quintessential street food kind yeah. of dish. And it's served on the lafa. We have uh, white sauce on the bottom. With the white sauce is like in parentheses on the menu because it made me think of the halal cart. Yes. You know, when you're getting like yes. lamb over rice, they're like white sauce, red sauce, and I'm, you're always like double, more white sauce. Right. You can, it's like it's a like cowbell. Right. You can never have enough. <laughs> you know? So exactly. That was, that was my version of that sauce. And then the chicken thighs that are brined and then they're roasted underneath a bed of, of onions. So all the juices and the shawarma spices kind of go underneath there that softens the onions and then everything is cut together and then laid on top of, of uh, the white sauce with uh, some cabbage and herbs, more white sauce. Wow. And um, I mean, I'm, my mouth is watering right now. And I know. I'm hungry. That, <laughs> like, I'm so And then you have people that yeah. are... <laughs> they're gluten-free, right. you know, either by celiac or by choice. And yeah. you're like, it is not going to be the same, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. well, what do I do in my mind? What do I do? So I serve the chicken and all the sauces separate. And then I give you like a bed of lettuce and I let you make your own situation. Ooh. Or if we have rice on the menu, yeah. then, then you do it that way. And you know what? It's not the same, but yeah. it's, it's still, so all great. the components are still delicious. And right. I think, you know, you have, you have to be okay with, with things like that. There are some things that we can't you know, that we can't change, you know, like the whipped feta and pistachio dip. It's, it's been on the menu from day one. Right. And uh, it, the pistachios are inside, you know, so if you have a nut allergy, you just can't have that one. Right. But we've made so many other dips where the nuts were more of a, a garnish. Yeah. That if you didn't have nuts on it, it wouldn't make a difference. Right. So I always I like to say my food is like Legos because I really try to think about how I can make these bites delicious and still if they need to be tweaked, they still keep their integrity. I love that. It's Legos versus Jenga, right? Like it's like it's they right. build on each other instead of like, oh, one thing comes out and all of a sudden everything collapses. I love that. Right. I love that. Today's question is help me. I'm addicted to sugar. How come I can't stop eating it? What's your advice? Ooh, this is such a good question. I hear a version of this a lot, and here's the deal. In research, scientists often look specifically at a neurological pathway that identifies a trigger in something that's like a sweet-tasting food responsible for that feeling of receiving like a super happy serotonin boost. But looking at just this pathway, this treat and reward neuronal pathway, is only one small piece of your biological and physiological puzzle. And it doesn't consider what else is happening in your body and in your life when you're actually eating something sweet, right? So therefore, the timing and the type of treat that you're eating, so why you're eating it and what type of sweet tasting food you're actually eating are critical for understanding and then maximizing that treat and reward path. So how physically full you feel while you eat is directly related to everything else you're eating at one meal, in an hour, in a day, 
tomorrow, whatever. So saying that we're really capable of being addicted to sugar is like basically calling us lab rats. It's looking at one neuronal pathway that we've seen in research. Some research exists out there, but really it's been very limited to either animal models or lab um, or in test tubes. And therefore, it's not really acknowledging what human beings actually are, which are complex people who eat a wide variety of meals of mixed types of nutrients with mixed nutritional value. So what I'd want to do first is to say that, A, you do not have a personal problem with sugar, okay? It is true, however, that we are, as a country, population data tells us that we are overconsuming sugar. And here's why. It's really highly likely that you might be consuming excess sugar from unlikely food sources of it. So you're eating those without knowing that those foods contain sugar, which can easily add up and contribute to why we're eating more than we necessarily need. Some really good examples of this, condiments, sauces, bread products, cereals, crackers, chips, different types of plant milks or even regular milks that are flavored, yogurts, protein bars, protein shakes, juices, supplements, uh, powders. These are all possible sources of added sugar that kind of just sneak up on us and and just get into the daily meals and snacks that we're eating. So something to keep in mind and check labels for, all right? The other real reason why added sugar might be coming into your day of eating is when we do that thing where we're attempting to like band-aid a love of something sweet with things that are just not going to cut it. Like if one more person says, if I ever have to hear this again, have a banana when you're really craving a donut, right? Like have the donut. Yeah. A banana's not going to cut it, Frank. All right. But what happens is that we subsequently eat way more than we need to over the course of a day because we're trying to quote unquote, avoid sugar, right? It, it just so happens we always want what we can have. That's true of lots of different significant others. And that's also true of sugar. So something to keep in mind, don't deprive the thing that you want the most for the sake of trying to band-aid this problem with something else that's sweet tasting. When you really want something, have it. And then the biggest reason, and this one I see all the time, that you could feel like you want something sweet all the time and you're feeling like it's the only thing that you can't stop thinking about, is that so many of us are just blatantly skipping meals, especially breakfast. (laughs) We're not drinking enough water throughout the day. And we're not filling up on enough nutrient-dense foods at our meals and snacks to keep us satisfied enough to consciously eat real dessert and include it as a part of our daily meals and snacks. So those three main sources, right? Consuming excess sugar from lots of sneakier sources of added sugar, attempting to band-aid a love of something sweet by, you know, eating the banana when you really wanted the donut. And then the general eating patterns that you have, like skipping meals, not eating enough when you are having a meal, waiting too long before you have a snack. Those are the many behavioral reasons why we wind up either consuming too much sugar during the day or just feeling like we just constantly want something sweet. So I want you to keep those three things in mind. We'll deep dive on this topic over on the On The Side YouTube channel, but quality is the emphasis here. For most of us, sugar can add up in lots of different ways that have way more to do with our lifestyle than they do with us making this conscious decision to eat something sweet. So I really want you to keep that in mind. I think this is one of those myths we just need to say goodbye to in 2021. Like, goodbye, sugar addiction. You're not a thing. Thanks for the shame, though. Okay? All right, let's get back to the episode, and we'll deep dive more on this over on YouTube. 
Okay, so then let's go back to to the evolution of Shuka into Shuket. So first of all, I mean the fact that you even opened this this year post pandemic. Yeah. Let let's talk about it. How? I mean, because I can barely get out of bed. I, I'm just <laughs> I just feel like I that's so you. impressive. I, I um so two years into Shuka, they said, Would you want to do another concept? And I said, A hundred percent. Yes. And they and uh when we first talked about doing another concept, we never talked about like what the concept kind of was. Right. It was um, more of like another restaurant. We knew that we didn't want like two shukas, you know, but we wanted to do something different. And uh, I said, absolutely. And they started to look for spaces and stuff like that. And um, Jim Leahy and Chris and uh, Mark and Vicky have been friends for years. And he said that he was about to give up co and we said, we'll take it. Oh, wow. It was a corner spot. Yes. Uh, you know, Cookshop has been around for 14 years. Uh, if, if you live anywhere between 14th and 34th, uh, between 6th and the West Side Highway, there's no way that you haven't been to Cookshop at least once right. in the 14 years <laughs> that it's been open, you know? <laughs> and there are people that when Cookshop was open for lunch, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they the people would dine there like three, four times a week. And they still do. We don't have breakfast anymore. But um, it just has a, just a, you know, a cult following. Absolutely. And we said, you know, that in, in that alone we'll be okay you know yeah. and then uh cook shop is like their baby um right. and they know all the customers the customers know them i mean some of them they become like lifelong friends with and it's not even a customer situation anymore right so uh we knew that, that we loved that space yeah but we kept thinking about like what's going to make this different and i said listen I will never, ever, ever go back in the basement. So one thing we knew for sure is that the kitchen would be on the same level as the dining room. Yes. So they had never She's been. She's done with the basement, folks. She's done the with the girl, basement. The tantrums will still live on, <laughs> but the basement must never return. Keep so, your um, tantrums out <laughs> in the open. It's the new age of it. transparency. We have our tantrums I, in public now. I tell everybody that sits at the counter, this is, we're making a commitment to each other, good, better, and different. Yes. I promise you the food will be good, but you're going to see it all here. I so, love that. Um, I love that so much. I can't even tell you because we, when we went to Shuket, I went, my husband and I went to Shuket at like a random, like two, I want to say it was a couple weeks ago. We could, of course, not get a reservation. And all I wanted was to sit at the counter. I was like, no, 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 not a table. There's no tables for us. We got to sit at the counter. We got to be a part of the experience. And I don't yeah. think we spoke. Like, I don't think we spoke to each other because we no. were too engrossed in what was happening behind the actual counter of watching these incredible dishes come to life. But also, the it was like, talk about FOMO. It was like we were stuffed by the time we were halfway through. And we were just because you can't, like, the, the best thing about your food is that it's so delicious and you want to make sure that you have every bite and also every type of iteration of every bite. So like <laughs> if something has both the hummus and also you've got, I think it was the spicy cherries. I was like, okay, but this could go yes. with this. And like, I'm using a cherry as a vehicle for dip. Like it's it just that there's so many different ways to put everything together in a way that's so special and also delicious at the same time that it's the most exciting dining experience i think you should give up the podcast and just be our pr I, i'm happy to i mean I, I won't give it up but i'll be here talking about it constantly <laughs> thank you thank you i mean you nailed it you really nailed it it's, it's funny because you know i've been saying this but it, when it comes from someone else it just makes me feel really good because 
a lot of times you have that vision, like I said before, or you know what you want to do right. and you're hoping that it gets executed. Right. And then sometimes you go into service with the Hail Mary and you're like, it's all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock. And you're like, did we just do all that? Right. Like, you how do we do good? that? What's, right. What's <laughs> <laughs> what we wanted it to be. Right. Um, but that's funny. So you found this space in the former co space. Where does menu design start for you or, or the kind of recipe development right. or how does it evolve? Well, what happens is, is that we found the space. We realized that it's a complete gut because there's really nothing in there, but a wood burning oven, right. which we, we all want to cut our toes off because we got <laughs> rid of it. But really <laughs> there was no way to salvage it simultaneously. You know, yeah. I mean, do I wish I have it every day? Do I think about it? Yes. Right. But right. Uh, and so what we did was is that Vicky and Mark had never been to Tel Aviv. And Ooh. when I went to Tel Aviv, I went uh, actually four years ago for a friend's wedding. She's also uh, she's a chef and she did all of these culinary tours for the people that came to her wedding, which was so generous and amazing. That's and amazing. We would go into the, you know, into the souks and kind of see these people eating at these counters. Yeah, four seats, six, you know, and um, there was something about the pulse of that. Yeah, you know, it made yes. it very casual, but they were serving delicious, good ass food. You know, like if you've ever had, you know, if you've if you've ever bitten to a tomato in Tuscany or at its peak, or had a pomegranate like in Tel Aviv, or like you know that the terroir and all these things yeah. play a large role in how everything turned out in the end. And it was yeah. like these beautiful stalls of, of, of food and people that were really passionate about what they were doing. And so, something left a mark there for us. So we started, we continued to, you know, eat out. We were there for like almost three weeks. And, and I was like, I, we wanted to do this style of dining. And uh, we also traveled, not the same trip, but another trip to London. Wow. And there was a restaurant there that had this, type of like counter seating. And when we came back, we spoke to the Peter Guzzi. He was our architect that built Chiquette. And we were like, we want, we want something where the kitchen is encased in this counter space, but we still need dining room seats. So, you know, we gave him these like arbitrary things and we like figure it out. (laughs) And he designed one of the most beautiful restaurants that I personally have ever and and I love it. It's not, you know, like anything, you know, I brought my brother here while it was being built and he was like, oh, that's great. You're bringing a diner back. And I was oh like, my you're God. never coming here. Right. <laughs> I was like, Bing. I'm you never know. taking you here. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Go home. Yeah, you're on the blacklist. You can't even get a reservation <laughs> at 10 o'clock. You can't come. But uh, <laughs> what I love about what I wanted to do is A, again, I didn't want to be in the basement, but B, I think that people are fascinated about how food is cooked. Yes. And how, and what I wanted it to be is kind of like a show. Yes. We're not the main characters. You know, you and your husband sat at the counter. Like you said, you weren't even talking to each other, right. but your eyes are going everywhere, right? You're looking yes. at the cook in front of you who's like plating the hummus or the leg of lamb that's hanging over the grill. And you're like, oh, what's that for? What's this? And we wanted to hire people in the kitchen that could answer questions. And the biggest thing about Chouquette that I love is like if you sit at the at the counter and we can we we can't hear everything, but we can hear like you're ordering. And right. we say, you know, should I get the hummus or should I get the salt cod? And the guy's like, oh, we can have hummus anywhere. Let's get the salt cod. Oh no! And, but in my mind, I know that my hummus is just not. You know, I had to rename it to not your average hummus because we were selling nothing, <laughs> not even three hummus a night. No, and, and, uh, you're the first kidding. Week, the first week, 
literally, I think we threw out like 20 quarts of hummus. Oh my God. Because no one was ordering it. And I was like, I was having a breakdown. And then, right. so we, we're doing all these little tastings. So if you come to the counter, we talk it out, we talk about your allergies. And then during your meal, we might, you know, you might get a taste of this or a taste of that. And, um, we love it. And we want to be part of your experience without being intrusive. And we hope that, you know, that people understand the experience. And I think, I hate when someone says, but it's true. No one's doing what we're doing right now. Right. No, it's no, no one is. I mean, I confidently can agree with that. Yes, absolutely true. And there's something special about it. And I think it adds to, you know, when we first started, I guess we have to go back and forward before the space. But when we first started and we were doing, you know, you do orientation or whatever you want to call it. I said, you know, I say to the servers, the managers, my staff, being genuine is one of the most beautiful things when you're giving hospitality. It's so true. There are 30 things on the menu. I don't want the service to love all 30 things. There has to be five or six things that speak to you. And I feel like when I'm, I'm at a restaurant and I ask someone for their opinion, or I say, you know, a lot of people lead with, Oh, this is, this is the rest, you know, the people's favorite. I just want to know what you like. Right. And we might not agree. You know, I know already in my head, if there's a lamb on, on the menu, I'm getting it regardless. But when right. someone's genuine about describing a dish and you can see that they've tasted it and, and, and like that taste memory is now like um, resonating yes. and they're explaining to you. I'm like, that's this is this is my dish. I want that dish. Oh, my God. So yes, you- I totally agree with that. And you know what else about that, too, is that I don't even if someone is describing something to me and. I don't actually like the item. Like I wouldn't normally order lamb, for example. Like I just, I just right. have never loved it. But if someone is described, like th- there's this inherent trust that I have in the next recommendation or the next item that I ask about, because mm-hmm. I know that the way that you just described your passion for this lamb means that this is going to be, you're going to give it to me straight. Like you're going to tell me right. something that I actually would like more simply by listening to you, you know, like just by hearing it out. Right. And that's really what I want. That's what I wanted for Chouquette. Yeah. I wanted this, you know, I've used the word controlled chaos. It is a fun restaurant. The music is loud. It's a dense space. So if you don't like to get bumped into, you know, it's like the difference between a lounge and a club. There's right. a club. You know right, what I mean? People right. are bumping into you. It's its thing. And I just love it. You know, people say all the difference. Like, what's the difference between Chouquette and Chouquette? It's not easy. for. I feel like the food is is different. It's the right. same cuisine, but for some reason, it's just different. And, and it's hard for me to say what it is because it's the same chef. I'm still making the menu at both places, but I can't describe it. Because when I think about a dish, I'm like, no, 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 that's more shuka. Oh, that's right. more shuket. Right. And I don't even, and sometimes you don't even know why, you know? Yes, totally true. Totally true. There are two spaces that have their own personalities and each genuine approach to hospitality And really, I couldn't be more proud and gracious because I have had an opportunity to open up two restaurants in New York City and not many people get that opportunity. And God willing, I mean, Shuk is successful and I I hope the same for Shuket. And I I hope that we create these positive work environments for people to stay. My guys at Shuka have been with me for six years that I've been there. So I'm really, really super lucky. That's incredible. I mean, it really, but it really, really shows. I mean, I think that's why that is the true origin of your success and your pioneering of this style of eating and this celebration of food. 
has really been game-changing in New York, but I think game-changing in a way that is so very much needed. I don't mean game-changing in this pretentious, like, oh, yeah. really <laughs> elevated. Like, that's not really what real love and enjoyment and appreciation and connection to food actually looks like. It looks like it's messy. It looks like it's fun and loud and exciting. And that's the kind of environment that you want to enjoy with other people or by yourself. But whatever it is, there's that connection forming like that really comes forth in every single item on the menu, but also just in the environment in in your restaurant. So I, I can't even tell you how much needed I feel like this was, especially right now. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that we also chose a time like we waited to open because, you know, we talked about the plexiglass, you know, all around the counter. And we talked about like not seating the counter. And we talked about maybe just doing outdoor only. And the truth is, is that some styles of service are inherent to the space. Right. You can't help it, you know? Yeah. And there's something about Chouquette that it would not have been right if we did it any other way. Absolutely. Wait a second. So can we go back to the hummus for a second? I cannot believe yes. that it had to be thrown away after the first three weeks. So so you were calling it hummus at first. Now it's I'm looking at the menu and I'm seeing the not your average hummus, which I yes. I'm living for. But also, did I read when we were there? I just remember thinking, huh, I gotta ask Aisha about this, which is the the chickpeas, like something happens to the chickpeas before they before they become hummus. Yes. So we soak the chickpeas. And then we braise the chickpeas. And when the chickpeas are done, we take the skins off of them. Oh, whoa. So it's extremely time consuming labor of love, if you will. (laughs) But the difference between at at Shuka, we don't do it. And listen, I appreciate it both ways. But the, 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 the natural average hummus at Shuket is just like golden silk. It It is is golden silk. Yes. So, it's so creamy that it's almost like you need a spoon and it's not like a situation that you could like fork it. I, I literally know? ate it with a spoon and I was getting, I was like this tahini <laughs> soft serve, which is by the way, it's own. And we could do our own episode on that because I just have so many thoughts. <laughs> so delicious. But, but the, the hummus was like, this could be a dessert. It could be an appetizer. It could be a main course. It could be right. Like I was like, I could see about 85 different uses for this. And, but really all I want to <laughs> do is eat the golden silk off of a spoon. It's yes. like all I wanted to it do. Is- no, no, it's yeah, and that's and that's what was happening. And I could, un- I didn't understand it when I first looked at the menu. You know, a lot of times you have to. You know, we talked about menu development a little bit, but a lot of times, like after you make your menu, you have to step back and yeah. think, you're looking at it. and You're like, oh, what? What from the customer's perspective? Like, what are they seeing? And when I was like, why the hell are they not ordering the hummus? They're like, in their mind, they eat hummus all day. People eat hummus for lunch now. You know, yeah. it's such a commodity. You know that it's almost like, why am I going to a restaurant? I'm going to pay for it. You know, when I have a quarter of it in my refrigerator from Stop and Shop or whatever, Whole Foods. It's so interesting. It's a different, yeah. It's just so interesting to think that like, that that was like an overheard at the counter moment that actually became, okay, let's reprint these menus and just call it, let's just be more specific about it. I was like, just change it. Let's change it. Wow. That's so interesting. the menu wording is whimsical as it is. So I was like, you know, if I write it on there, no, no one's going to know. And then all of a sudden it was like hummus, hummus, hummus. And, and yeah. thank God we're okay now. We're not throwing out anything. In <laughs> fact, we're packaging it to go. So I, I feel happy about that. Can you give us a little bit of backstory on Fish in a Cage? 
Just a little bit sure. and then we'll move on. But I just I feel like I feel like the fish in the cage is having a moment. Fish in a cage. Your fish in a cage is having a moment. I, I mean, the New York Times certainly thinks it's having a moment. <clears throat> you know, I have to have to give that shout out. This was written about, what yes. was it, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, um, two weeks ago. Amazing. Amazing. So, first of all, poor geese. And second of all, fish in a cage. Yes. <laughs> so, two things, right? Two separate things. Porgy is, to me, like the undisputed king of fish from the east coast the king when it of comes fish. to local the porgy is just a beautiful fish to eat whole you know the yeah. whole ethos of our company is local and sustainable so unfortunately like you know a lot of people say oh my god octopus would be so great in your cuisine yes it would but unless you're seeing some octopus in montauk that i don't know about <laughs> it's not you know it's not happening for us so how do you take something like the porgy that that we used to use for bait if you will, right, you know, right. or literally given for free. And now it's like almost like half the price of swordfish. So it's, it's ranking has now moved up on, on the, on the ladder. Yeah. But uh, how do you, how do you, how do you present this fish? And I've always, I love a whole fish. I think there's a time and a place too. for it. Yeah. Bones and no bones for me, you know, it doesn't bother me, but the fact that it's boneless uh, obviously makes it better. And um, when I thought about Chouquette, I, I thought it, Chouquette was born of dishes that weren't composed. What does that mean? I didn't want like starch, a uh, vegetable, a sauce, and a right. garnish. Right. And I say it in that tone. But some of my dishes obviously worked out that way that they do have that. And I thought about like, how do I present a fish that's not plated? Right. Whoa. So that's really where that came from. I went to a restaurant when I was in Tel Aviv that was only charcoal and they had these huge, um, I think they were actually like barracuda uh, skeletons and they were wow. ha hanging over the coals. So they must have served it that night and they, you know, they just had this skeleton of it and they just like had That's it hanging amazing. as an aesthetic. So cool. What was the name of that restaurant? A-B, A-B-I-E. It's like right outside of Tel Aviv. Wait, I definitely read about this and tried to go and could not get in. Yes. Okay. It was keep going. one of the most amazing, <laughs> one of the most amazing restaurants ever. But wow. when I, when I saw that, I don't know what of that made me think of a cage. Like it was just hanging yeah. there. So when I came, when we came back and I was like doing this fish thing and I was like, how do I do it? Do we put two fillets? Do we, blah, blah, blah. even on the first day that we opened Shuket, Till today, like it has evolved. The sauces that we put on it have evolved. How we serve it has evolved. But I knew for sure I wanted to do the cage. And, you know, when you first come up, when you're opening a restaurant, I'm sure, you know, not only there's a lot of people that taste your food. Right. You know, whether it's your cooks, whether it's the front of the house that works there, whether it's your partners. And people always have different concerns. Yeah. You know, people were like, how are people going to eat it if it's in the cage? Um, so you got to climb in. Right. You know what I mean? Is, you know, <laughs> is the cage hot? Well, it's for a little bit. Yes. You know, right. and like, well, what do we, what if we present it and then the kitchen, then you bring it back to the kitchen and then we take it out and put it on a plate. No. What right. if we, we cook it in there? But the, no. And then sometimes, sometimes like telling you, like you have to stick to your guns on a dish and you're like, yeah. listen, this is the dish. If we let's serve it like this. And then if people are crying, I'll take it off. We'll figure, you will figure something out. If this and is never, triggering to uh, someone, then perhaps you right, should try exactly. sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
Yes, where the, there is no porgy. Or, right. you know, we're happy to, to give you something else, please. Um, but that's so funny with the triggering, because that's like the new thing. With things, right, these, if these you're days. triggered by the porgy in a cage, I don't know what to tell you. It might let be the us, wrong restaurant for you. you. Right. right. <laughs> Come sit over here. Let Maybe you need you. a sparkling beverage. What What is the name? Because that's the other thing that I also want to get to, and then right. I promise we'll move off the, the topic gazos. of the menu. The gazos. Okay, right. So, so the gazos. So, what? First of all, tell let's tell our listeners what it is and why aren't we drinking more of these? <laughs> right? Why? Why are so we again, just I mean, this? this is this episode is also like shout out to Tel Aviv. Because this is a major shout out to Tel Aviv. I love it. Food wise, yeah, it is a mecca. It's a mecca. Like if you haven't been and you really love food, you have to go there because you could eat in a, a stall in a shuk. Yeah. I would tell you to really stay away from the fancy, fancy restaurants because I've done them and yeah. they're beautiful. And I don't want to say that they're not, but there's something about the simplicity of what they do at the smaller restaurants and at the shuk that you're really yeah. getting the essence uh, of it. You know, it's so true. And it, no, and it's, it's so it's true. Tasting menu mentality kind of thing. But we, we went on a, um, what do you call that? Delicious Israel took us on a tour. Wow. And we stopped at this place. um, Adina Sussman, who's a renowned author and a friend of mine. And uh, I can't remember Benny's last name, but they just actually wrote a book uh, called Gazos. And we stopped by his little stall and we had them. And it was just like these elixirs. And and it's like a small stall that has these huge glass containers that have all different kind of fruits that have been fermenting and herbs that are fresh. And I think back in the day, you could go there. And it may be totally off, but like if you had a sore throat, like this yeah. guy could kind of heal you. Oh. And uh, it became this thing where you would go and no two gazoes were ever alike. I love that. And you would, you know, they would make... One, you, you would say like things that you had aversions to, but they were these beautiful gardens in a glass. And there's a, a few pictures, I think, on the on Shuka's Instagram of like the day that we were there. And they yeah. were just so beautiful. And when we came home and we're thinking about like the cocktails, you know, uh, at Shuket, it's only beer and wine. There's a church that's behind us, and I think we missed it by like 10 centimeters. I think so ridiculous. We try to put the door on the roof or move it, like, you know, or see if we could have like after hours in the dry cleaner. You have to drop in. You have to like helicopter in somewhere or be like, you have to be like the bread, and the restaurant itself is like the hummus. Like you're being dipped into the restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. Like some kind of flume right. from like the next door, <laughs> and uh, so we wanted to think of creative ways of of doing these low ABV cocktails without using, you know, a lot of these spirits now are made with grapes. They have yeah. like tequila that tequila ways tasting wine. I don't even know what it is, but again, going back to being genuine, like right. that's not genuine. Right. There are plenty of like you know, apérol and, and other right. Um, right aperitifs that you can use vermouth of course and like how do we make something fun so right. we kind of took benny's idea and we turned it into like a spritz oh it is and delicious. that's how the gazos at chuquette were were born they're both you can have them alcoholic and non-alcoholic we obviously you know stick into the ethos with you know right now right. we have a watermelon on we have a cantaloupe one there's one that uh, tastes like a garden and <laughs> i'm not sure what the other one is but that I had like a, tr- maybe that was the Kindle though. I had, whatever mine was, it was like sort of tropical. 
and then we swapped but like we kept swapping so like we had like a fruity and like a i don't think it was the floor it was like a citrusy um but it's so refreshing it was it's just so refreshing but also so the liquor the actual alcohol that's in it is wine right or it's yes okay it's it's prosecco prosecco we had and some of them have different they have different things on it i just love the garnish i mean i don't know why people don't take it home because it's like a little bouquet of herbs i I always tell people the counter take it home put it in your (laughs) legs tomorrow or the small little vase on your on your uh desk for the day i love um, it it's just just like a little elevation like it just gives a little joy yes it's the best. So wait a second. So this is so so we gotta get down to business for a second before we officially have to wrap up. But tell me one thing that I'm dying to know, which is are you at Shuka or Shuket or both every single day? Like are you are you having your meals? Where are you actually able to sit down and, and have a meal? So neither, please. <laughs> Um, I'm, you'll find me standing for sure. Right. Sitting is a is, is a luxury. It's hard, but yeah. uh, I am at I am at Shuket Wednesday through Saturday. Okay, right? I um, go to Shuka on Tuesdays and Saturday morning. I love brunch at Shuka. What's your favorite thing on the Shuka brunch menu? Right now, there is marinated like to, uh, cherry tomatoes with garlic and marjoram and a little bit of cardamom, Ooh. and then we take a paella pan. And we put uh, merguez in there. What's so merguez? we started with the merguez, merguez sausage, lamb sausage oh, that wow. we make. Okay. That has like harissa and uh, lots of mints and onions and garlic inside of it. And all of the, you know, it starts to render its fat a little bit. Yeah. And then we put in the, these marinated tomatoes and crack two eggs in there. And Ooh. then put it in the oven. So the eggs are just like sunny side up. Oh, it sounds like of. heaven. And yeah. then you get your pita, and it's the pure rip and dip. You're getting the spiciness of, of the merguez, <sighs> the runny yolk, and the tomatoes bring that acidity, but also that floral note of the marjoram. And uh, I'm literally like, I, I, if we were on video right now, I would take my headphones off and just drop them and be like, I gotta go, I gotta go to Shuka. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought yeah. I, I thought the rain would deter me today, but no. I got to get to Shuka yeah. immediately. I think the beauty, the beauty about the Middle Eastern food, like the brunch, is because like when you go to brunch, people get the same shit all the time, right? Yeah. You're getting like some kind of sandwich or a burger. You're getting scrambled or poached eggs. You're getting right. pancakes. There's nothing wrong with those things because I too love pancakes. I'm not going to lie. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I became 40 and a fan of pancakes. <laughs> Zero to 40, I never <laughs> ate a pancake in my life. So I don't know what happened. Age 40 apparently- becomes pancake enthusiast. The, the pancake loving right. age, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so love those things. But the thing I love about Shuka is that these bites are like so different. Right. They all resemble brunch. But then right. you're getting like just this little different, like what the hint of, you know, something else. The and best. that's really what I love about it. Oh, this is the best. Okay. So let's start with, I mean, this is my favorite question to ask. But I also think I I have a feeling that your answer to this is going to just knock my socks off, which is, okay, so, like, imagine that you could have meals from anywhere in the world. What would be, like, your ideal, like, the best eating day that you could have breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, desserts, cocktails? That's a really hard one, but, like... It's a hard one, but I think I would have, like... When I think about that, the first thing that comes to mind to me is like a baguette on the Champs Elysees. Like I, I like a proper baguette with real butter. Yes. 
Yes. It's like my first, my first bite. Like if, if we had butter. to have a, a, right, French delicious butter. Yes. And then maybe like we'd have the baguette with butter and then the other half with like a poisse or like yes. a really stinky Ooh. triple yes. cream delicious cheese. Yeah. So if we had to like go like region Delice. by region, like I would start yeah. doing it like that. You know, I would have to go right after that to Sicily. Okay. And have like sea urchin and pasta. Oh, yes. The things that I like are going to be like three ingredients or less because it's those things that I feel when you're ballsy enough to do something simple, you're smart enough to know that you have to pick the finest ingredients. And it's not about price. It's about, you know, the best tomatoes. You know, I remember I, I was 19 years old the first time I ever went to Italy and I bit into a tomato. I was in um, Abruzzo and I had realized at that moment that everything else that I was eating was not a tomato. Right. right. I, I know when you describe that moment of, of crying over an eggplant or a tomato, right. I literally, I had this like full flashback to being in Tuscany. I, I was so amazingly lucky to do this graduate program that, that had me living for six weeks in Tuscany. It was insane. It was completely epic, but the most amazing, I, I just had this like super specific memory of biting into a slice of pizza at a place that I could not even point out on a map. It was like, we randomly got there in the middle of the night and I am celiac. So I, <laughs> it was a gluten-free pizza made in the, in the middle of the country, in the middle of the region really, but with the wow. best tomato sauce that I, I feel like crying. And I started to cry. I like, so I bit into this pizza and just started weeping. It was just the most amazing thing I'd ever tasted. But also the environment that I was in was like people who just were so excited to share this thing that they created that. from the most amazing gluten-free flour with using the freshest ingredients, using the best tomatoes. So yes. So I fully relate to the crying over tomato. I feel like I, there, I have yet to have a tomato for some reason, because there's plenty of great tomatoes in our current region, but I would argue oh, yes, nothing, nothing quite as close to that Sicilian tomato that you just described. Right. I, I feel like each of the regions of tomatoes should have like a little accent over like the T or the right. O or the right. S. So you like <laughs> not to like where it comes from, like no shade to everybody else, but this tomato is from here. So you know exactly what you're getting from yeah. it. <laughs> it's true. It's I so mean, true. there's so many things. I'm trying to think of like, you're making me think of the times that I cried. I remember also a Tel Aviv moment where I had um, the guy, I think his name is Alal Shani. He owns uh, Ms. Known. Oh. I, at one of his restaurants, Fort Saeed, I had sweet potatoes with creme fraiche and gray salt. Wait a second. I also had that exact dish and cried. <laughs> and, and got behind I the literally, counter. Small tears. Oh my just, God. So I don't know if it was the gray salt, but I had never sweet potato again. Another thing that I, I've like not really that fond of. Yeah. And I was like, hot damn, this guy killed this, killed it. No, you're so if right about, about the ballsiness of, of going super simple and knowing that you're using the exact right combination of ingredients is game changing. <sighs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to bounce back to Sicily, but if you okay. had like the arancini, oh. the arancini in Sicily, a panelli sandwich, uh, anything swordfish yeah. uh, in uh, Calabria. Like if you're getting on a boat for the day, there's usually like a stand and they make like a swordfish panini that has <sighs> like samurio on it. 
and you're just like in it's the middle delicious. of the Mediterranean Sea, like taking a bite of this crusty bread with this herbaceous sauce and this oh. thin piece of swordfish that still it's is amazing. juicy. And you're like, how the F is that possible? How did when this you can go to New so York good. City and never get a piece of swordfish that's cooked properly <laughs> at any restaurant. I could not agree with that um, more. Why is it so hard? to? But I don't even, is it because of the way that it's cooked or is it because it's really hard to find yes. great swordfish? It's the way it's cooked. Okay. No, I think it's the way it's cooked. Yeah, for sure. I think mm. cocktails... I have to I have to go to Dukes in okay. London. Okay. Yes. And have a martini. Yes. I don't know if you've been. Uh, I've but never been, me, but I like, would love to go. Let's go. You know when like <laughs> certain things make you feel like a woman? Yes. Like the first Chanel pocketbook. Totally. You know what I mean? Or like totally. the shoes that you've always, you know, the Manolos that I can't even wear anymore on my feet. But, you know, like you put your right. foot in there or you got the bag on your shoulder and you're like, yes, yeah, I am a woman. Yes. It, you see, you know, they're, they're, they're the low, very comfy blue kind of Swedish chairs that are hot. Oh. The reason why it doesn't get too hot is because you only let to have two drinks in there. But they make <laughs> the martini right in front of you. And, oh, I love uh, that if so much. If you're, I like to gulp martinis because that's yes. just my style. Yeah. But just sipping on them, um, it's just. I think is very special. So first of all, gin or vodka in the Duke's martini, would you say? Gin, gin, gin. 100. Yeah. Really? Gin okay. 100. Okay. I yep. feel like the vodka, the vodka martini is kind of having its little moment, but I, I feel like then it's just, yeah. it's just, it's a vodka martini. It's a I martini think it's is made I'm with a gin. gin drinker. <laughs> right. I'm a gin drinker, okay. but I don't know if gin will ever have its moment. So, like, to me, like, vodka always refers, resurfaces with the moment, right? We're coming yeah. right out of Tequilaville into Vodkaville. I know. Uh, I know. So it's funny with the trends. But to me, yes, it's in all the way. My, you know, my second cocktail that I have there is the Vesper. Oh, I love It's one Vesper. of my favorite. Yeah, I love a Vesper. Another drink that's not easy, A, to go to a bar and ask for, or B, have someone that knows how to make it. Totally. Totally. What are the, so tell our listeners, what are the ingredients in a Vesper? It's uh, vodka, gin, and okay. I like it with a Le Blanc, but you could have it yeah. with Kochi. It's just a, like a fortified vermouth. It's three, three liquors, basically, so there's no time for the wary. You know what I mean? Exactly. This is, this is, exactly. This is a drink that's going to go straight to your head and your heart simultaneously. Right. <laughs> uh, but really, really delicious when done right. This is not for the faint of heart. That's why it's called a Vesper. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so where are we going for dinner? Where are we going for dinner? That's, uh, I got to think about this one. I feel like, like in my mind, like my eyes are like traveling backward to the, to like food memories. I know. Well, give us, okay. So give us a great food memory. I love that. But I'm thinking, when I think about dinner, I think about a steakhouse. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I just think about why I think about the steakhouse is because there's not a lot of thought in my, my mind. Right. I know that I'm drinking martinis. I'm I'm probably going to start and finish with champagne. Yes. Right. And in the middle, there's not a lot of choices. I mean, there are, but there's not. Right. Because right. you get, you're going to get like the raw bar. You're getting your quintessential if you're a Caesar or a wedge salad kind of person. Ooh. Right. Yes. Bacon or you're going with the tomatoes and onions. You're picking your cut of meat yeah. and then you're getting sides. So oh, for you're me, getting a lot of sides. Eating is really easy because I don't have to have a lot of thought. It's and there's true. not many things. That I, I don't have that conflict, what we were talking about, where should I get this to go? Did I, did right. I not have this? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Those things on that menu are always going to be there. So I feel that some of my anxiety is now, you know, relieved in knowing right. that I could just come back at any time. Exactly. The cream spinach is here to stay. 
for life. For life. You know? Yes. Yes. 99%, right? The the bread basket still lives on, which exactly. I'm a big proponent of. Yes. You know? Thank so God. So for me, it's a classic. it kind of like hits, right? It hits all those marks. Yeah. And you can go, you know, to a classic like Peter Luger's or something more opulent like Del Frisco. Where, you know, I, I don't really, people ask me what my favorite one is. Yes. I don't know that I have a frame. That was going to be my next love, question. Yeah. Right. But what I really love is that I, I have a few, I guess I'll give you a, a okay. few names, but I feel like I'm at ease there because I'm not looking at what everyone else is having. Cause you, you know, know what I'm saying? right. Exactly. Are there's no just, FOMO. Right. There's exactly. Zero, zero. You put it perfect. There is no FOMO. And that allows me to have like a really great experience. Oh, you know, people, my friends, who are fortunate enough to eat out with me uh, always say, uh, here we go with Aisha. She's ordering the left side of the menu. Right. You know, my brother, <laughs> he, whenever my family goes out, he's like, forget it. You can't order anything because she's already ordered that. My uncle's like, oh, I want the cup. I'm like, yeah, I got that already. I already ordered like, well, it. Right. You, you ordered eight entrees. It's four of us. I'm like, yeah, but we're going to taste things. You right. Know what we have to and taste. And you guys are going to have food to go home with. And I still have FOMO at those places, but I feel better because I know that I've over-ordered. Yes, I feel safer. I feel safer to have overordered. Better right. to have overordered and tried everything than to only gotten to experience your the sole entree or appetizer or garnish that you specifically ordered and you're not sharing. I don't I'm not I'm I'm right. very averse to the whole I don't share thing. I actually don't think I have any friends, family, or really anyone that I get along with that says I don't share. No, we got, <laughs> we got to share. I love that. You're always in good company then. Yeah. And I agree. We have to, the sharing. What do they say? Sharing is caring. Exactly. Sharing is caring. Sharing is, sharing is also adventure, you know? So, okay. All right. So we got dinner. What about dessert? Where are we having dessert? Where are we having dessert? Um, dessert is not my forte. Okay. I'll tell you. I would disagree I love with you because that tahini soft serve is like nothing I've ever had before. Everything about it is amazing. But what here's what I don't understand completely about soft serve that hopefully you can explain to me. Like in my mind, when I think about soft serve, I think that it does, it doesn't seem as cold as ice cream, right? But like it's colder, right. it but be. it's actually colder. I think I'm right. pretty sure that it's, I think it's I think it's the amount of air that's like kind of puffed into it. Right. And okay. When you think about ice cream, like it's set, like yeah. the ice cream does come out of the machine and it's then it's dense. set in the freezer. Right. Which right, right, which makes it kind of dense, which makes it denser. And I think that the soft serve just has this more ethereal feel to it. And because of that, maybe that's where the the juxtaposition of like cold or colder is happening. There's just something so satisfying about a soft serve. Just generally. I mean, Oh yeah. I love a good soft. I mean, I I live in Gravesend, Brooklyn. We have like the original Carvel. Wow. And uh, I am never opposed to running in and getting a cone, vanilla cone, chocolate sprinkles. Oh, chocolate sprinkles. Yes. That's a beautiful dessert for this Given how much juice you just gave us, like given how much amazing info and inspiration and also I'm starving, uh, right. I feel like that is the perfect way to end that perfect day of eating with Carvel soft serve with chocolate sprinkles. It's like exactly what you're in the mood for after all that. I mean, yeah, deliciousness. Deliciousness. The and I think... I think you can have it in a cone and you can yeah. have it in, in, a, in, a, in a cup and, you know, no one, no one is judging you Completely. because the soft serve is just delicious. It's, it's just a little slice of refreshing heaven. All right. So we're going to end 
on our little speed round. But wait a second. But before we end, I need to know. So given your current schedule and the fact that you've just opened, give us like a real quick rundown. What's a day in the life of eating for you? Like, are you starting with a proper breakfast? Are you trying things throughout the day? What's it, what's it looking like right now? Yes. My eating is that of like a frat boy and a, and a three-year-old that has, <laughs> doesn't eat anything. Um, I am, my eating is much better when I'm off, but yeah. on, on a typical day, I probably eat something. I'm poking around and seeing what family little look, family meal looks like at 2, 2.30. Okay. And if it's something that I would want, then I'm going to taste it for there. Before that, I'm probably in the kitchen at about 12. Between 9 and 12 is usually my time to have meetings or catch up on emails and schedules yeah. and all the wonderful paperwork, stuff like that. Right. Um, I usually in the morning, I just drink water and take vitamins. Uh, if you gave, if you, you gave me coffee, I would drink it, but Ooh. I just don't make it because it's just not something that I'm in the routine of doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at 3 o'clock, by 2.30, 3 o'clock, I'll have tasted some things and probably put my spoon one or two times in, you know, family meal. Yep. And then um, service happens, and then I'm eating after service. I am taking a pita 11.30 at night. Yes. I'm probably taking a pita and the leftover anything, like one of the juji chickens that wasn't sold and chopping that up. And putting some tomb and some herbs and some tomato in it and uh, finishing out my PM log and getting into the car. Um, sometimes <sighs> it ends with cocktails. So the eating is all over the place. You know, sometimes I'm at, I'm at a restaurant tasting a new dish. Sometimes I order a juice when I know that my day is going to be insane. But uh, I need to be better about my eating habits for sure. I mean, that sounds pretty good, though. That sounds like you're that sounds like truly getting the full experience of both all of your amazing food, but also the the real experience of being involved. I love the I love the <laughs> phrase. I have probably a spoon or two of family meal. It's like I'm getting involved. I just want to let you yes. guys know I'm here. I'm getting involved yes. and I'm going to have a bite or two of family meal. This is that's it. Yes. I love yes. that. I love that. All right. So quick speed round. And then I will, I promise I will finally let you go. I feel like we're so over, but I could talk to you for until tomorrow. And I also, <laughs> likewise, I feel like we, likewise. I'd like for us to go to have a breakfast, a lunch, some snacks, some cocktails and a dinner. Anytime. Okay. Anytime you tell okay, me. Good. And Excellent. whatever we didn't cover in this episode, you're going to have me on in months from now. And I love it. I love it. All right. So my last question. So what currently give us a little rundown. What is currently in your fridge? Do you have any idea? Have you right seen now, your fridge my, recently? In my fridge, <laughs> there are definitely six bottles of champagne. Love it. Um, I'm a very avid lover of champagne and don't believe that you need to celebrate to open a bottle. Could not agree um, more. I've also learned that in my fort of being becoming 40. Pancakes um, and champagne. I, That's that. Anyone go. listening to this who is under 40, I just feel like, <laughs> think about it. This is what you have to this look forward to. This is what's coming your way. Exactly. Champagne and pancakes. I, Always have butter, usually Breakstone and Kerrygold, both salted. Same. Uh, there are about three eggs in my refrigerator. <laughs> and I would say uh, the mini Coronitas Ooh. is at least 12. You know why? When I get home sometimes and I want to like a quick, I don't want to commit. Yes. It's, two, it's a two sip beer and it's ice cold because Ooh. it's not an eight ouncer. You know, yes. know what I mean? So I don't yeah. have to wait for it. Oh, I love that. And it's there, ice cold at the back of the fridge. Yes. Exactly. There is like a half pint of Calabrian chili paste. 
Oh. And probably four or five garlic cloves. Um, <laughs> that that that's that Those if, are the mainstays. And then and mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Definitely mayonnaise because I love a turkey sandwich. Usually on my days off, there's a salumeria really close to my house, and I and I get some cold cuts, and I always get extra turkey because some nights when I get home from work, a turkey sandwich on really good like multi-grain textured bread Ooh. with mayo, perfection, uh, salt and pepper is yeah, that's my jam right there. Mayo, so underrated. You know, some people have a real aversion to it, but I feel like it's such an underrated condiment, especially for a good sandwich. What's a sandwich without mayo? Not much. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Thankfully, you never will have to because you've got mayo in the fridge. Absolutely. (laughs) Aisha, I cannot thank you enough. This was such a joy. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Anyone on your show is a privilege and an honor. You are the best of the best. You make everyone feel comfortable. And that's when you know, when when you could talk for hours, it's not easy. I mean, you and I are both talkers inherently, (laughs) but it's hard. It's not easy uh, to share memories. Sometimes they're, you know, it, it's laborious when you're thinking about like, oh my God, I have to think about that with you. It just came so easily. Oh. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for supporting Shuka and Shuket. My I, God, I honestly, thank out of my you. Heart, I appreciate that. Really, it is incredible. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for your continued success. And I cannot wait to get back to Shuket if I can never get a reservation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know, you have my number now, so that'll never be a problem. So tell us just before you go, tell us where everyone can follow you, find you and where we can learn more about everything. Absolutely. So my name is Aisha Najaya. I'm the executive chef and partner of Shuk and Shuket Restaurant. You can follow me on Instagram at Aisha, A-Y-E-S-H-A underscore rare. uh, Like the steak, (laughs) like that, like a tiger. And, um, you can find me at Shuket right now, Wednesday through Saturday, or at Shuka the other days of the week. And um, I hope to see you there. And I promise you, it is worth it. It is worth it. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better, one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers.